Hello everyone, Dr. Anna here for Couch Talk. And today we have an incredible guest, one of the women on the frontier of functional medicine, a true go-getter and just incredibly knowledgeable in the field of functional medicine, natural medicine. I want to introduce you to Dr. Kara Fitzgerald. Kara, it's great to have you here with us today. Oh, it's great to be with you again, Anna. I know, I'm excited. Y'all, we're going to be talking about methylation and some key factors of methylation. By now, you know, you've heard the buzz around methylation. Do you have, you know, are, are you, do you have MTHFR gene and then these factors that come in? So we're going to get dig into that and kind of clear up some misconceptions and, and talk about really what we need to know and how it affects us. And um, I'm excited to talk about this today because it's such an important area in medicine. Yeah. So I'm going to introduce Dr. Kara Fitzgerald to tell you a little bit about her. She received her Doctor of Naturopathic Medicine degree from the National University of Natural Medicine in Portland, Oregon, and she completed the first Council on Naturopathic Medicine accredited postdoctorate position in nutritional biochemistry and laboratory science at Metametrics Clinical Laboratory, which is now Genova Diagnostics, under the direction of brilliant, kind, Dr. Richard Lord, who I, I've known well and um, just brilliant. Yeah. These two, just brilliant, let me tell you. Her residency was completed at Progressive Medical Center in Atlanta, Georgia. And now she is up in Connecticut where she has a clinical practice also involved in research. And she's also the lead author and editor of case studies in integrative and functional medicine. She's a contributing author to laboratory evaluations and integrative and for integrative and functional medicine and the Institute of Functional Medicine's textbook for functional medicine. She recently authored the ebook called the methylation diet and lifestyle and published numerous peer reviewed articles in multiple journals is faculty at IFM is just brilliant all the way around and does this awesome podcast as well I tell I was telling her earlier before we started the call one of my best and favorite interviews has been with Dr. Kara Fitzgerald so you can find her website at drkarafitzgerald.com so d-r-k-a-r-a Fitzgerald f-i-t-z-g-e-r-a-l-d.com we'll give you those links in the show notes and all that but welcome Kara so excited to have you <laughs> thanks Anna it's great to be yeah, I know. It's great to be back with you. We did. We had a great podcast. We were just kind of walking down memory lane. Yes, people, be sure to check it out. Um, I just plied Anna for all the pearls that I possibly could <laughs> that I wanted to know as a physician and as a woman. So anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll move from your podcast. And talk about yeah. yeah, so if y'all didn't hear it, definitely go to Kara's site and, and listen to that one too. And um, it's one that, you know, really we have to listen to again and again. I mean, there's just so much in there. Take good notes. But yeah. you do the show notes, which is great too. All right, let's dig into methylation, Kara. Let's just go in and talk about methylation. What is it? Why is it so important? Why do we need to know if we're a good methylator or a bad methylator? I know, right? It's a big deal. It's a big deal. I was laughing today. I was on a meeting with somebody else and she, and she was actually 
finding some of the content we have on our site on methylation is being really helpful for the layperson because she otherwise doesn't understand it. And I encounter it's 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 hard to understand. I encounter that all the time. What the heck is methylation? Unless you've been doing the drill down for a long time, it's like it's a foreign language. Um, so let me and and you know what it's so ubiquitous it's happening all of the time that even i think sometimes it's so it's so obvious that it actually increases the complexity but let me back up and talk about what it is so a methyl donor um you know i always have a methyl donor kicking around here but i think i i have a, a molecule kit you know i build molecules and i was actually <laughs> building them with my nephew and i think i gave him my my methyl group it's literally just a carbon and three hydrogens and it's it's like one of the the smallest biologically active molecule it's itty bitty one carbon and three hydrogens and so methylation in the body is the process of either making that compound in the methylation cycle or actually using that compound and we use that compound anna like everywhere in every cell all of the time it's this background activity that is so fundamental and so important it's happening in every cell all of the time and so if if it's gunked up if there's an imbalance if you're not making enough of these methyl donors we actually make a compound called it's a big word called s-adenosylmethionine in the methylation cycle and that shortened to sam or sami that is the compound that actually has that um, methyl group on it that goes around you know into all the cells and involved in all sorts of metabolic processes and it gives that methyl donor and then the, and then sometimes methyl donors are also taken from from compounds so it's involved in activating immune cells it's involved in dna synthesis it's involved in regulating dna expression it's involved in making and metabolizing neurotransmitters and detoxing estrogen um, in making uh helping form cell membranes and producing compounds like choline and acetylcholine actually that's another neurotransmitter but just on and on all over the place all of the time major fundamental activities in the body require healthy, robust methylation. And that just brings to mind too why one size fits all medication doesn't work or one mechanism of action medications don't work or have a fall in the system because nature has created every piece to have multiple roles. And these like methylation it's a building block, right? It's foundational, yeah. like you said. And so if we yes. look at foundational and an important part of, especially like our mental health, our nerves, yes. our ability to fight cancer, our ability to have hormone stability. Yes, yes, <laughs> in yes. our life, right? Yep, yep, yep. So you can, so one of the reasons I think it's difficult for people to grasp, you know, to kind of wrap their head around, you can't say, and it's not easy to say, oh, I have a methylation problem or I have a, now sometimes, you know, we see in clinical practice and I think, you know, the regular, regular folks have gotten sometimes depression um, seems to be associated with it. Um, you know, what else? Autism, when we, when, you know, when we're treating autism, it tends to have, you know, major methylation issues. Um, but it goes, it goes out from there really, most conditions from autoimmunity to inflammation to accelerated aging to dementia to, as you pointed out, cancer to um, heart disease, you know, metabolic syndrome or being on the me metabolic disease, all can have associated with them some degree of methylation imbalance. And, you know, what's 
and, it, and, and there's a continuum. So it's not all or nothing. It's not always a methylation issue, but a meth, but methylation imbalance can, can absolutely play a piece of the, um, or be a significant piece of the puzzle in a lot of conditions. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about how do you know if you have a methylation issue? Mm. Medic testing the biomarkers. Yeah, yeah. So um, an area that I want to jump over to is epigenetics, and we'll talk a little bit about what I'm doing there and what the research study that we're working on now. Um, how do we identify whether or not we have a methylation issue? Well, people, you've probably heard of the compound called homocysteine. It's a cardio, when we see homocysteine elevated, we think it's a cardiovascular risk marker. I mean, that's really what it got put on the map for. It's also a universal, it's a, it, when elevated or when too low, it's, it's, it's unequivocal evidence that methylation is in imbalance. Um, and you need to, you, our major methyl donors, the nutrients that we need in our diet to help get this cycle, to help optimize methylation, include B12 and folate, um, the compound betaine, we need niacin, we need um, riboflavin, we need a complement of minerals, including magnesium and potassium, zinc, fish oil, et cetera. All of these compounds can help regulate methylation. So one marker that your doctor will look at is homocysteine. Um, we can also look at folate levels and B12 levels. We can look at, um, so a, a lot of clinicians are interested in looking at genetic mutations. In fact, you may be familiar with some of the methylation um, single nucleotide polymorphisms such as MTHFR, um, and there's a host of others in the methylation cycle. And when those are, um, variant or when those are sub-functional, they can, but not always, they can contribute to methylation imbalances. Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. And that's one thing that I um, started checking several years yeah, ago. Yeah, especially in your world, absolutely. Yeah, homocysteine levels, you know, mm -hmm. and how key that was and and then looking at understanding you know mthfr and and yeah. how that can be one of the risk factors for certain for certain diseases and disease processes also for why a person's not getting better with first line you know first line therapy recommendations so so that's helped in a lot of ways and and just kind of teasing that out so what do you like your homocysteine level to be um i think a perfect. <laughs> there will, you know, there's actually, if you're a clinician out there, there are other um, compounds we can look at to shine an even brighter light. Uh, we can look at SAMe. We can look at the um, metabolite of SAMe. Once that methyl donor is used, it becomes S-adenosyl homocysteine, and then it becomes homocysteine. So there's a whole, whole, we can dance around the methylation cycle actually pretty nicely with different biochemical markers. But Homocysteine is the tried and true, and we can get it super easy. We can get it at Quest or LabCorp, and it's insurance covered and so forth. Um, I like a homocysteine in the neighborhood of seven, you know, maybe six or seven. Um, I don't want it high, and I don't want it too low. So I want to see it balanced. How about you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> six to eight, you know, not yeah. too high, not too low. And, yeah. and it brings um, different, let's just talk, you know, it brings different reasons, right? What do you do when the um, homocysteine is too low. Mm -hmm. Well, it you know it can be low for different for different reasons. So most co commonly, 
uh, homocysteine, we think of it as a bad guy and it's associated with heart disease when it's too high. So we, we, it has a bad reputation, but in fact, it's essential for the production of um, glutathione the taurine and some other, you know, really for sulfur, for sulfation, I should say. So for detoxing the body. So homocysteine is a really, really important player for a host of compounds um, that help us, you know, help maintain our, our adequate antioxidant supply, help detox the body and so forth. Uh, so we really need homocysteine. In times of increased oxidative stress, increased inflammation, um, Methylation, so homocysteine is normally recycled to the amino acid methionine, and then methionine is metabolized to make that methyl donor, S-adenosylmethionine, and then it's reconverted back into homocysteine. So that's the methylation cycle in a super nutshell. Um, but in times of oxidative stress, the enzymes that allow for homocysteine to recycle actually grind to a bit of a halt. You know, they're, they're, they're blunted. And then homocysteine is available to get shunted into um, what they call transsulfuration pathway and ultimately to make our major endogenous antioxidant, the major antioxidant our body needs under times of oxidative stress, and that is glutathione. So we, it, without, sufficient glut without sufficient homocysteine, one of the first things we think of is that it's being spent in quenching oxidative stress. So low homocysteine might mean that we're under a lot of oxidative stress and we need glutathione. That's really actually the most common reason. Sometimes we'll see a low homocysteine uh, because there are lesions with the various enzymes. So either there's an issue and there's just insufficient nutrients to adequately recycle or um, you know, there's genetic damage to those enzymes. And for whatever reason, homocysteine isn't, um, isn't being produced adequately or S-adenosylmethionine isn't being produced and then, you know, converted down to homocysteine. So there can be other sort of a little bit more obscure reasons why one might see a low homocysteine, but far and wide, it's oxidative stress on the body and the homocysteine is doing its job. And then we need to just replenish it. Well, we, we want to go in and quench the oxidative stress, figure out what's going on, take care of the body, and then, you know, make sure that, you know, we see those numbers restored, that we have adequate supply in the body. Yeah, no, I think that's a great explanation. And, but you're right, by and far, we see the elevated homocysteine. Far and away, yep, yeah. yep. And then we're thinking about what kind of nutrients we need to actually support recycling that homocysteine so that it's lowered. And um, we're again able to produce that all important methyl donor compound, S-adenosylmethionine. So if homocysteine is too high or too low, ultimately what's going to be at issue is we're not going to have enough S-adenosylmethionine and methylation happening all over our body is going to be compromised to one extent or another. So again, you know, we're not going to be able to make, you know, make or, or regulate DNA expression or, you know, metabolize out our homocysteine, excuse me, our histamine or estrogens, detox the body, et cetera, et cetera. So imbalanced homocysteine, be it high, which it more commonly is, or be it low, you know, we're messing with this global methylation that we need to be robust and, and functional. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's good. Thank you. Well, tell us, you know, what are some of the um, uh, clinical issues that you're typically seeing with uh, elevated methylation then? Yeah, methylation imbalance, like, okay, hyper. Yeah, so elevated homocysteine or right. Oh, okay. Imbalance. I know um, 
inefficient methylation. And what percentage of us now, because I used to, we used to always quote in obstetrics, well, 10% of us have a methylation defect, but I think that's quite um, low, right? It's a lot higher than that, isn't it? Well, you know, interestingly, Anna, if we look, I mean, single nucleopide polymorphisms in the methylation cycle are so ubiquitous that all of us have at least a handful of them. We all do. Um, and it's just really a matter of whether or not um, our lifestyle allows us to really support healthy methylation or not. Um, so again, thinking about issues associated with methylation defects, you know, accelerated aging, autism, um, birth defects, um, miscarriages, um, dementia, autoimmunity, um, heart disease, um, depression, Down syndrome actually has methylation imbalance, hyper and hypo, um, thyroid disease we can see. I mean, really kind of the the gamut, we can see evidence of methylation imbalances. Um, so it's worth it. I would say that it's a foundational uh, uh, area of exploration for any clinician practicing functional medicine. We're all looking at how methylation is. Yeah, and I like what you said. It's like, you know, it really depends on that lifestyle. So let's... Mm -hmm. I'm going to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's talk about that. But first, just how did you get interested in treating methylation? Okay, good question. Um, and then we'll circle back to lifestyle. So all of us, again, in functional medicine, you know, I, with my background in laboratory science, I've been looking at homocysteine, I've been looking at other biomarkers associated with methylation. And then, you know, as we mapped out the genome and single nucleotide polymorphisms became something that we could look at readily. Um, of course, I was looking at those as well, along with you and, and, and you know, and most of, of people who are practicing uh, functional medicine. So um, I, a lot of my patients needed methyl donors to one extent or another. I wanted to give them B vitamins, butane, et cetera, et cetera, choline, and so forth. Um, but then one of the things that really interested me powerfully is I started to read about the epigenome, the epigenome. Um, epigenetics is, it's been around for a little while, uh, it's certainly newer than genetics, um, but the term has been around, you know, since the early 19th century or 20th century, excuse me, 1900s. Um, and, but really understanding the epigenome and actually being able to measure it in a laboratory to, to like identify what's happening is new. So epi is above and then genome, epigenome, above the genes. And so we, we know now that they're actually... Um, processes or mechanisms of, of um, mechanisms actually regulating how DNA is expressed. And that whole field is called epigenetics. So DNA or any genetic material um, produces proteins, kind of dictates how the body behaves. And we think about our genetic mutations as sort of deal breakers or not. When in fact, what we now know is um, just above that is this epigenome. And actually the epigenome regulates how the DNA expresses. And the epigenome, that layer above the DNA, is kind of where the rubber meets the environmental road. So whether we're eating well, um, if we're getting enough sleep, are we exercising, how's our gut health, etc. That all of these variables, all of these environmental variables actually influence the health of the epigenome. And then the epigenome in turn 
regulates how our DNA expresses, regulates whether or not that MTHFR mutation is really going to make a big difference in our world or not, that epigenome. And so I started to read the literature around it, and I became extremely fascinated. Um, it turns out that a lot of the complex chronic diseases we see in practice are sourced to imbalances in the epigenome. And what was really interesting to me, Anna, was that regions in the epigenome can be hypermethylated, tons of methylation going on, and other regions can have hypomethylation in the same gene. And regions of hypermethylation, so generally suppress that gene activity. Well, it turns out in cancer, most of I mean, in every, every type of cancer that I've read about, to my knowledge, always have these regions of hypermethylation that shut down the gene that inhibits cancer. So those cancer, those tumor suppressor genes that are incredibly important, say P53, for example, or even the BRCA, a functioning BRCA protein, in certain cancers, they can be hypermethylated and shut off. Now, Conversely, oncogenes, which, go, which can actually promote the spread of cancer, are hypomethylated and turned on. So methylation on the epigenome will shut off genetic expression. Sometimes that's an extremely bad idea. Sometimes we want to shut off epigen we want to shut off genetic expression, but sometimes we don't. And likewise, sometimes we, you know, when, when something's hypomethylated, well, we might actually want it hypermethylated. So, you know, long story long, it turns out that this dance of methylation is so much more than just on-off, you know, to have enough or not to have enough. It's a it's a homeodynamic process that's happening that entails us to really embrace this whole being medicine. Um, every aspect of functional medicine really seems to influence whether we're uh, methylating in a balanced, healthy way. And it's so, it goes way, way beyond the idea of just making sure you have enough B12 or folate or, you know, choline or whatever nutrients that you're using for methylation. It goes way beyond that. Turns out a lot of these foods that we use God, I bet if we looked at maca, we would find maca has favorable epigenetic balancing properties. I bet you, Anna. It may not be researched yet, but when it is, it would be super cool to see that. But it turns out some of, some of our go-to botanicals, some of our go-to nutrients have this balancing capability on the epigenome. It's, it's so interesting. So for instance, um, EGCG, the, our, that, that powerful flavonoid in green tea, turns out that is what we call an epigenetic adaptogen. It's balancing. That's probably why it's so potently anti-cancer, why it's so potently protective. We're getting to the, it blows my mind. It's so cool. Curcumin, it's an epigenetic balancer. It's a, it's a, it's a methylation adaptogen, as we like to call it. Um, a lot of those the, our beloved um, polyphenols have this adaptogenic property. It's like Goldilocks, too little or too much. Well, let's get in there and make it just right. So these foods that nourish us so powerfully turn out to have this 
really cool interface on the epigenome. Now, how, let me also say, though, we have to have enough of the methyl donors also. So we want these balancing guys in the mix taking care of us, allowing us to have the most optimal expression proper uh, as possible. But we also need to make sure we've got enough of the methyl donors, the B vitamins, the folates, the cholines, and so forth, so that we've got the ingredients to let the body manage the epigenome. So the one the my work has been how can we get this from a really food forward approach one so that's why we've got the methylation diet and lifestyle how can we have a diet that's densely packed with methylation balancers or methylation adaptogens as we call them plus you know just rich in methylation methyl donors so that's one thing that we've been working on and the other super cool thing and then I'll stop and let let you ask me some questions it turns out that all of these lifestyle factors absolutely influence methylation in the epigenome big time if you got enough did you get enough sleep last night i mean if yes <laughs> maybe i remember when i was actually talking about this last year in ireland and i was totally jet lagged well it turns out just one poor sleep night one 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 sleepless night this is in an animal study it's not humans some of the some of the some of the data are really new um influences epigenetics profoundly and eat and, and and in a negative way and even when you catch up on your sleep in the short term epigenetic expression or dna expression is still negatively impacted just one sleepless night um However, you know, conversely, when you have a nice, robust, good sleep habit, you're nurturing your epigenetic expression. You're nurturing optimal DNA expression. It's pretty cool. Same thing with exercise. Um, same thing with good gut health. All of these, these, the, the, these bugs living in our gut make compounds that you know, aren't necessarily the methyl donors as we understand them. Sometimes they are. I mean, we can make folate. Some of our bugs make folate in the gut. But they're all the, these regulators, these things that attenuate and balance and tweak and fine-tune. You know, so a good, healthy gut has so much – it's so much more going on than we um, – than we knew. And so for me, I started as a clinician to wonder, well, if I'm giving Joe, you know, 10,000 micrograms of B12 and, you know, five milligrams of, of, of methylfolate um, long term, I started to wonder, am I potentially setting them up for um, some of these conditions of hypermethylation? Is it possible that I would promote cancer? Like I was, I, I mean, it was logical for me to read this and wonder how I as a clinician um, you know, might be, be doing something, uh, not appropriate for my patients. Well, I, I, yeah. Or it's like that creating that negative feedback loop that we're not producing our own now because we're supplementing. So I, I that's get true. hard going down this trail, like, okay, when there's a sweet spot and yes, there's a sweet spot. I know it's amazing. And so we know we, there, when you have an elevated homocysteine, no question about it, you probably need some B vitamin. I mean, there is a place for our supplements. There's absolutely a place for um, in our toolkit for methylated folate, et cetera, et cetera. No doubt about it. But what we do have to recognize that we don't want to just throw our patients on some of these nutrients long term and forget about it. You know, or if you're out there, if you're a consumer and you're going to the to the health food store and buying yourself a bunch of B12 because you think it's the right thing to do, well, you know, be mindful about it. I mean, we know now that these guys are very powerful players. And this new research into the epigenome is kind of where the rubber meets the road.
However, you can do a food forward approach. There is no data to my knowledge that food-based folate has ever caused cancer. Not the fortified, not the fortified and, you know, fortified processed grains and so forth, but your green, leafy greens, mm-mm. you know, that's not a cancer causing concern there. But go ahead. I'm going to hush because I know. No, 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 I love this because it just gets me excited because, you know, when we're talking about what's happening with the, with the genome, right? That there's yes. hyper and hypo function of yeah. sites on the membranes and, and what is happening. There's this balance, this body um, ability to auto-regulate itself, right? Yeah. So it's like same thing. You can't flood too much, and and that makes sense. It's really exciting how intelligent the body is, and how nature so intelligent to work its way through that. And yep. I will say, you know, in, in like my idea of, of supplementing that there's, you know, there's seasons for a reason, right? We have to rotate. There's maybe winter off or winter on. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, when do we take drug holidays, vitamin holidays, things like that, and changing up our dietary pattern, too. So those are, yes. those are factors. So how did you come to terms with that? But I, I do want to say this because I, I think it's so so key is that, you know, like, diet alone, like I would say for weight loss, diet and exercise alone are just part of the picture, right? As you mentioned, lifestyle, sleep, that's a huge rejuvenator. That's a huge yes part of our healing process. And, and, you know, so it's more, there's so many more, um, there's so many other aspects that we have to integrate into our lifestyle that go beyond the, the, you know, eat better, move more. That's part of it for sure. But there's yeah. a lot more, especially when we look at the disruptors that you talk about. And you mentioned also in your ebook, the, the toxins and environmental disruptors and all this. Yeah. Let's go into the lifestyle and just talk, you know, just talk more about. It's about true. So, so when we started to put this together, you know, and, and design our whole program, we were thinking or we were thinking as holistically as possible. So you're right. So you want a good diet, you want enough sleep, you want to get balanced exercise, you know, you don't need to go too crazy. I mean, there's actually a point where exercise is harmful. So if you decide that you need to go bang out your CrossFit, you know, seven days a week, that might not be the healthiest for optimal genetic expression and disease prevention. Now, granted, one person's fitness is another person's totally overdoing it, right? So you need to just be in there with what makes sense to you. Um, in the research study we're doing, it's just we're recommending people go to around 60% of their max and do that, you know, at least five days a week. Um, but know that overdoing it, if your body isn't up for that, is damaging. Actually, there's plenty of research, and it's damaging to the epigenomes and elsewhere. So um, exercise. But yeah, as you were saying, Anna, toxins, you know, just limit our toxin exposures. Toxins, toxins will disrupt epigenetic methylation expression, but they'll also drain those precious methyl donors. So that, that SAMe molecule I was talking about that has the methyl group on it, well, it's, it's in order to metabolize a number of toxins, it's in demand. So you'll use it up to get rid of those toxins rather than, say, metabolize out that estrogen that you need to get rid of or metabolize out that adrenaline you need to get rid of or take care of the, um, you know, methylation on the epigenome, et cetera. So, yes, a toxic burden in the body 
excess toxic exposures is going to damage methylation and be a methyl donor drain. We also know that there's loads of methyl meth or, or medications, excuse me, that can drain methylation. And it's important to look at, you know, patients to see what's going on if they're draining methyl, um, methyl groups with the medication they might be taking. If it's allergy season, as it is now here for us in Connecticut, histamine uses a boatload of SAMe of methylation to get it out of the body. So allergies are a methyl donor drain. Um, stress, again, you know, just pumping out the adrenaline, you know, just being really wound up and anxious, another methyl donor drain. And an imbalanced microbiome is going to, for many reasons, not the least of which, you know, we can make folate and do all sorts of stuff, is going to impact negatively methylation. So you can cast a really wide net um, for ways that we can tend to methylation in our body. Yeah, yeah, no, I love that. That's true. So what are some of your recommendations? Well, you know, what are some of the food choices that you recommend? And Yeah, I just think this whole idea of the methylation adaptogen thing, I just think it is so cool. It's so cool. <laughs> I just love that we've got these foods that will help you know, if you're hypo, you're a little hypo, you're a little hyper, well, it looks like some of these foods are going to actually help us balance it out. Um, so for that reason, you know, my, my love affair with curcumin continues because the research on curcumin, as far as balancing methylation, just comes out all the time, like every single day. When I wrote our ebook, I wanted to see, um, how many hits there were on PubMed, you know, our research database. <laughs> and at that time, there were 85,000 on epigenetics. I'm sure if I went back and did it now, there'd be like 150 or 200,000. Research is coming out every day, all of the time. And curcumin is one of the big ones that people are looking at. Of course, I like green tea. I think green tea is amazing. And rosemarinic acid and rosemary. I mean, we know, we know rosemary is really great for memory and it's an antioxidant. It's got all sorts of active polyphenols. Well, rosemarinic acid is what we call a DNA um, methylation adaptogen. Um, eggs, I love eggs for choline. So we also want in our diet, we want methyl donors, not just the adaptogens, but the donors too. So we want things that will help us recycle homocysteine like we talked about at the beginning. So you want some animal sources, you know, you want some, some, some forms of B12 in your diet, ideally, if you're a vegetarian or a vegan, then obviously you need to be supplementing with it. Um, and then greens, 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 lots of greens. And then we want, you know, rich seed, a, a diet high in good fats and, you know, nuts and seeds and other, we have a whole bunch of methylation superfoods that we go into in the book. Um, pumpkin seeds are fabulous. Mush, shiitake mushrooms is another really great methylation adaptogen. It's like all of these foods that you're telling your patients to eat every day, the research is coming down the pike saying that this is really one of the major mechanisms, this methylation adaptogenic property. So it's really cool. Tomatoes, um, lutein, lycopene, again, methylation adaptogen properties, super cool stuff. <laughs> and likely, I would say to your audience, I'm sure you guys probably had um, some methylation adaptogens today. And, you know, you probably had some foods that are rich in methyl donors. I think the idea for us, though, is that we want to turn the volume up sufficiently and not just diet, but lifestyle too. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Those lifestyle factors are key. So with that, let's um, tell us what is your favorite food that you love to eat that just 
Mm. Makes you feel good. You know what? I forgot to say beets. Beets are definitely a methylation superfood. I would be remiss. I did this book. My co-author is my um, nutrition director, Ramalie Hodges, who um, I just love. And, you know, she just did, she did such a good job on pulling together our diet for us. So the food that I love that I eat a lot, actually, it's an, it's a spice. Rosemary has been on my major hit parade and makes it into virtually everything that I eat almost every day. And I, you know, and I grind it up fresh if possible and I just love it. So it's a methylation superfood and it's just, I just have a very strong taste for it. I love um, it too. And do you grow it yourself? Do you have it growing? I, you know, I have, I have, I'm not that, are you good at growing it? I have to be honest with you. My mom has about 20 rosemary plants and I get them from her. She's, she's more successful. <laughs> are you, are you a successful rosemary grower? In the backyard. Yeah. <gasps> huge bush. Oh, that is so cool. You'll have to put a, you have to put a photo up with this podcast. I want to see it. You yeah. are. So in Connecticut, our bushes are a lot smaller, a lot smaller and they're finicky. So mm-hmm. I get it from mom. Thanks mom. If you're listening. Yeah. Um, awesome. <laughs> I take curcumin in capsules. I don't feel like now I, I recommend obviously loads of curry. Yeah. Um, coconut milk is good. You know, doing a coconut curry, the medium chain triglycerides of course are fabulous also mm-hmm. for methylation. But um, um, I just want to make sure I want to ensure that I'm getting some curcumin every day. So I also use it um, encapsulated mm-hmm. and I eat a lot, lot, lot of greens. I love arugula. I love Swiss chard. Um, so I just, you know, every day I have, I don't know, probably, you know, six to 10 cups of greens. That's awesome. Yeah, that's key. Now, um, with your, uh, I was going to ask you about, what was I going to ask you about? Now I had totally lost it because I was thinking about beets and those are really, <laughs> mentioned are alkalinizers. Oh yeah. Yes. Mighty maca contains, right. Yeah. Mighty maca contains curcumin and EGCG. So really you know, green tea extract. So we're really and that was part of it, and resveratrol, which is probably... Oh, yeah, resveratrol is also a methylation adaptogen, another mm-hmm. really good one. And so, yeah, it's a great product. Yeah. It's just for those three mechanisms, and I'm sure eventually we'll see research on maca if it's not already out there. Yeah, yeah, no, I haven't seen it, but that's interesting. I expect it, I expect it will be too. It just has that kind of covering effect, you know, too high, too low. We've mm-hmm. known that for the adrenals, but it'd be interesting... Yep. All right. So what is the number one lifestyle hack that you are implementing this year? My number one lifestyle hack? um, I would say that my number, so, so I I have a bike under, I have pedals under my desk. (laughs) Cool. I do. Yeah. So I can be in meetings. I could be in a patient encounter where we're doing the desk a lot and I can keep my legs moving. And, um, I do it. I do it all the time. And I just, I, well, I should say I try to do it as much as possible because I sit way more than I like and I need constant antidote to the impact of sitting. So I've got steps and, um, I stand and I work at my desk standing. I think I know those aren't quite as sexy as they could be, but I mean, we just, we need to be moving. I need to be moving. I do exercise. Actually, let me say that. I do exercise. I love exercise. I love being outside exercising, but that's insufficient when I then spend a good chunk of time at my, at my desk. Exactly. We are not so those are my, for yeah. this immobility and 
you know, this type of, of lifestyle. All right, then one last question. What do you do for fun? What do I do for fun? You want to know something? I haven't said this in an interview. I mean, I do, I love riding my bike. I've said this a zillion times. I used to compete um, as a cyclist when I was in med school and I loved it, loved it, loved it. And I still still get so much out of it. Um, but I have taken up knitting. <laughs> Awesome. Oh my yeah. gosh, that is awesome. Isn't that, isn't that, I have made, um, I'd say most of my family now have scarves. <laughs> I'm an expert. Well, I don't know that I would say expert. I'm a very slow scarf knitter, but I kind of like the hand movement and the bilateral stimulation. I don't know. I think it's like a spinner, you know, one of those spinners kids have. Yeah. I think it's like a spinner that you can actually end up with a um, scarf in the end if you're like me. I mean, I couldn't make a hat or I couldn't do anything better than that, but oh, yeah, that's I so did. awesome. But there's so much therapy to this hand movement. It is. Huh? Yeah, I think so. Hands and challenging your brain and that's <laughs> so good. Well, I'm going to take a knitting class. I am deciding. Are you? Yeah, I am. Oh, good for you. Your motivation. So I'm going to do that and just try to get. I used to crochet and needlepoint. I said that made me a good surgeon. You know, needlepoint. Oh my gosh! Yeah, but, absolutely. Um, yeah, I feel like okay, I need to. I need to use both hands together, and and that would be fun. That's so awesome. Yeah. So tell people now how to get to your program, and we'll definitely put links below. But to do your methylation program and also mm -hmm. your ebook. Yeah. Okay. So go to drcarafitzgerald.com and you can, you know, you'll see that there is um, a whole page dedicated to all things methylation for us. Um, we are going to put links on the website, so we'll give you a discount. You can get the ebook. We also have a really cool methylation balancing program. So the ebook is written a little bit dense, you know, a little bit more towards um, professionals. And inc incidentally, we will be doing a professional training a day-long intensive in methylation i am going to south africa next month and launching the training and then we'll bring it back to the u.s so if you're a clinician listening or if you're a super savvy you know regular person and you want to dump, jump in we are going to be launching that we'll offer it here in the u.s in january um, so you can get the book or you can just do the methylation balancing program. We've got a big, robust nutrition team of brilliant people who are well-versed in this. Um, most of our patients, all, actually all of our patients will incorporate the methylation diet and lifestyle into the program, um, into whatever foundational programs they have. So if we've got somebody with SIBO, they'll be on a low FODMAP diet, and then we'll layer in the, you know, the methylation superfoods as we can. So we layer it into everything that we do. But, you know, um, somebody could come in and just dive into the full program, do the methylation balancing program. It's just a great foundational wellness protocol. That's so good. Are you doing testing as part of that or requiring some? We certainly can. We absolutely can. So there, there, there's, you know, there's an option for testing and you don't have to do testing. So if you want to do testing, I would say go for it. Um, if you don't, we can do it as well. Yeah. yeah. And then the other piece, oh, actually, no. So just go to the website. You'll see those and we'll have links on on, on Anna's page, but go ahead. I know you had a couple other questions. I <laughs> know yeah, it's good. No, I love that stuff. But, you know, I think testing, it just reminded me of the Dutch testing and you've done a great yeah. job on that and how that's great for doing that testing at home. Yep. And, um, and just looking at those markers, I think it really does. I mean, so motivational to kind of look at those 
markers, like, um, you know, and, and just staying on top of that, even if we're at our peak of our health, what are our numbers at peak health, right? Versus where are we right now? And how can we just move one step better? Yeah. You know, yeah. I think methylation has a big role in diabetes and yeah, yeah, yeah. those aspects too, which is um, important in the methylation diet that I know, I know it's keto alkaline. So <laughs> I'm sure yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> yes, it is. That's right. It certainly can be. I mean, you can turn the volume up on the keto piece as need be. The alkalinity is obviously really there with our recommendations, but you, you know, there's some leeway. Clinicians prescribe this. And like I said, they can layer it into other stuff. So my interpretation of the methylation diet is definitely more keto alkaline. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Your strips are great. Yeah, they, <laughs> they are useful. Yeah. Man, it's, it's a habit. Those things, if it falls by the wayside, if I stop testing, I'm like, I get so loose and I'm like, have to go back to testing and just making sure that I'm hitting those alkalinizers and just recognizing how important plant food is. Like you said, the amount of um, epigenetic adaptogens, is that how you say it? Epigenetic adaptogens? Yeah, or methylation adaptogens, either way. Yeah, definitely. All right. What do you want our audience to know uh, going home with? Um, so methylation is way more than MTHFR, way more than MTHFR, way more than B12 and folate, way, 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 way more. Every cell in the body all of the time. And there's so much more that we can do to balance it. So, so, so much more. Just embracing a healthy lifestyle, you know, one step at a time. Um, and you're on your way to taking care of this very fundamental process in the body. Love it. Thank you. Thank you, Kara. I appreciate you and appreciate our listeners out there today. Thank you so much. Please comment below. Definitely share this methylation. There's a lot of confusion around it. And just getting this big overall picture is huge. And visit Dr. Kara at drkarafitzgerald.com. And also remember that our podcast is on iTunes. So please listen and give us a review. And we look forward to more opportunities to interact. So thank you again, Kara, for being with us. And thanks to all our listeners. Thank you. Great to be here.